You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Last Sunday morning, there was a six-inch a six-inch pipe that burst. It was spilling uh, water out all under Boston Street in Fishtown. This, this wasn't... This is not what it looked like exactly, but the, when a, a water main is under the street, brings clean water to what um, unfortunately get known by the, in the press as customers. I like to think of it as people and cats, but the, when that thing breaks, it doesn't take long for the water that's spilling underground to do its work. Sometimes it looks like a geyser, sometimes the mysterious matter that's under our streets because most of us don't really know, right? I mean, just pause for a second. Even in my anecdote, do you know what is under there? (laughs) Rats? I mean, (laughs) maybe. But I mean, just like consider for a second how much you don't know about the world that you trot upon every day. I'm not going to tell you or something. I didn't look it up. I don't know either. It's like every time they tear up streets, even around here in this overdeveloped neighborhood, I, I'm baffled. You know, just like what, when do you get to like actual dirt? It's, a, it's amazing. Anyway, when that stuff, that matter that's under, there's matter, okay? We're going to go with that. Matter and space between matter. When that stuff gets mysteriously vanished, uh, sometimes it gets transport away and you get a sinkhole. This is actually the situation that was on Boston Street. It's a bummer. It's a bummer at 9.30 in the morning to hear a crash and then um, go out and look in there and your little car or whatever is in the hole. <laughs> it's like, or, or maybe even worse, because that one you can at least have some kind of helicopter or a crane that just gets it out and it's maybe okay. The other one is jacked. You know, the... And, uh, and how frustrating that is. And my cell was talking about this at a meeting about just how it made me just reflect on how many things I take for granted. How many mysteries of the universe. I just think, like, eh, whatever. You know, like, it's stuff under the, the pavement. Whatever's under there is fine, probably, because I have driven on it before. You know, the, that, kind of, that kind of, is that faith? I don't know. That kind of, uh, maybe some would call it blind faith or this, this just sense of trust. But I think that trust can actually deteriorate and drift and it, into this sense of taking something for granted. I take for granted that it's very likely when I park my car that it will be parked there the next day and won't get taken by a couple of teenagers. Or that it's not going to fall into a sinkhole. But it makes you wonder about the other stuff that, that I take for granted. And we were talking in, in our cell meeting, and one of the questions that came up was, more of an internal question, what places in me do I just assume that are fine or fine enough and therefore can drift towards neglect and just leaving them alone? And, and if we were to look at them, what kind of process would it take to, to, examine, to self-examination and actually be able to find something that we could do something about? Where are there problems and issues uh, in the outer world the world of relationships and jobs and politics and 
healthcare and all these things, all these, where are there problems or issues that I just don't want to really look underneath, that it's hard to get some traction towards solving. Or even someone was asking, how do I cope with a world that seems like it's coming apart? Those are tough questions that I don't, I'm not going to try to like answer or something like that, but I hope some, something in there got you thinking about how to just get a trajectory as a start, maybe. I think that's a good start. Making a decision of we're going to go that direction. We're going to work on, on moving to the left. It doesn't always have to begin with a big thing. Like my imagination, even with the, the, the car in the hole, is like that a helicopter would take out a car. That's, that's a big way to solve that problem, right? I mean, we, I know we got helicopters, by the way. I see them almost every day flying around. I, I don't know what they're doing up there, but if they would pull a car out of a sinkhole once in a while, I, I would uh, appreciate it. But like just kind of solving a problem like that, um, my life at least, most of the time it's not like that. Uh, it often begins with small steps, just little seeds of hope. And f in relationships or in tough situations, I find it's most encouraging and it feels better for me and it produces better results when I try sowing seeds of hope or sow seeds of blessing, sowing kindness in places, sowing resilience, sowing resistance where it might be um, tempting to just respond in kind. You know, Jesus talked about seeds and natural things that grow all the time. And the, one of the basic ways he was teaching among people who grew their own food a lot of the times was to talk about plants, to talk about this is how God stuff is working. And to say that, that the, in Matthew 13, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, this tiny little thing that somebody took, planted in their field, that's the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it's the largest of all garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky can come nest in its branches. And then if you hang around here at all, you hear this parable every three weeks or something like that because it's so, I, I love it so much. And the, the black mustard plant is so amazing in and of itself, even though it's grown just to be used for its seeds or its spices, it grows wild. And it was actually cultivated in Palestine and a lot of other places. Now, Jesus uses hyperbole here to make a point, right? Um, and the, probably when Jesus was talking, people weren't sitting there like wondering if every little thing he says is totally correct. Like when he says, it's the smallest of all seeds, somebody didn't like raise their hand saying, what about orchid seeds, Jesus? Aren't they about the size of dust? Hmm. You know, and the, but, come on, if you don't have a peanut gallery in your head when you read the Bible uh, and acknowledge that it's there, when can, you know, you got to, whatever that, wherever that was going is gone. Jesus is not just trying to say, like, you know, here is the equation that works here. You take the, the, the actual tiniest thing to make it this enormous thing. And enormous, right, it's an, it doesn't really exactly become a tree. I mean, this is like, a, okay, okay one, that's kind of common. They get bigger. They can get about twice as big, but they're not like that big in terms of like huge trees or even like buildings that they built. 
it is a nuisance in your garden. And those of you who cultivate food, sometimes if you don't uh, mindfully weed, if you don't help uh, even the particular plants with some pruning, they get out of hand. And when they're out of hand, they, they take up too much light, they take up too much nutrients from the soil, and then you don't have healthy soil polycultures, and you don't have, it gets problematic for the life of the garden. But Jesus is taking it even beyond just like your life is just about growing plants for food. You're growing plants that even the birds can, can live in there. It's for the, the flourishing of other species. It's for the flourishing of the whole community. Um, even the birds that you might not think you want. But it starts tiny. And it grows into something beautiful. And I think the church is like that too. It's, it starts tiny. And... and this cell multiplication that we're trying to do is really just like an idea. But it's an idea until it gets into the hands and the lives and the hearts of people who want to practice it together in a way that includes somebody else, in a way that dignifies a lot of people, in a way that, that helps us matter to one another because we're connected. And we're not just connected in a sense of community, although that's the root of it, but it's community that's working out this this common mission together, this common inspiration. Our practices, these meetings of cells, particularly help people make loving connections. And we sow seeds of hope all the time. We form those circles of hope every time we come together like this. Webs of support, a web of love that produces all sorts of beautiful things. A lot of times beautiful things that we don't even expect. But how did two or three cells in 1996 turn into five congregations? and two thrift stores, among other things. It wasn't just big things, or to say like, well, I have a big idea, let's get 20,000 people to do it, or 300 million Americans to do it. Very small, deliberate steps that had some kind of trajectory that's moving, that's trying to be inspired by, and undergirded by guidance from the Holy Spirit. Sowing seeds can be like forming new habits or even trying something new. Now, it's the beginning of the year, so a lot of us are reevaluating our Planet Fitness membership and whether or not like, it's time to like, start a new good habit or just kind of say, I ain't going to do it and I ain't going to give them 10 bucks a month anymore. Just uh, anybody else doing that self-evaluation over the last couple weeks? There's like about 10, but I know that there's about 30 or 40, actually, <laughs> because I talked to you. And it's, and it's a, I think it's a good thing to sort out. You know, what are you going to do? And is that even like the, does your good habits or new habits start with like, you know, today I'm going to start training for a marathon. You know, a lot of us are never going to run a marathon. And good. You know, people run marathons and uh, it hurts them. <laughs> Some people run marathons and it's super brilliant and inspiring. It, my point is, the reason... We talk about running a marathon as this like cool thing that some people can do is because it's a cool thing that some people can do. And, uh, and I don't know if I, like I, I'm not expressing any shame about that, but I ain't gonna do it. You know, it's just like, a, it's not, that's not my calling. And, um, and training for one, um, while it's, it looks good on paper, um, I don't want to do it. Well, I should figure out some other small, deliberate practices. 
But, I mean, why be afraid of, of a bold direction? Something that, that won't injure you, for sure, would be good. But it starts, it starts small. It starts tiny. Could be a slight change, yeah, to the way you eat. Just like me, I'm trying to, right now, I'm just trying to do like a cookie elimination. <laughs> I ate so many cookies over the last month and a half, and it was gross. And it's like, I don't even, no offense to the cookie makers, I don't like them that much. But when they're just everywhere, and I'm a little hungry, uh, I want it. And I started it, I developed a habit. And one of the habits was like after dinner, I would finish eating dinner, I would bust my plates like a, like a good household member, and immediately I would want a cookie. She's like, hmm, I really just need something sweet now. It took me about three days to get conditioned towards that. You know, and it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's not just bad habits that can get conditioned in three days. Maybe something good could happen too. About a year ago, I started carrying around a water bottle everywhere and just saying, I'm just going to drink water. You know, before I drink coffee, I'm going to drink this much water. Before I do A, B, or C, I'm going to drink this much water. That was a profound change for me for spending most of my life dehydrated. And now it's a... You know, I can't overemphasize this to the human beings. We are generally, in Philadelphia, we'll just talk about a small group of humans, only about a couple million of us. We generally are dehydrated. Some of our grumpiness and our pains and our aches and our illnesses even just come from that. So there's, there's things that even like we know about, right? There's mysteries of the world that we can contemplate, right? And then there's like the obvious stuff that's right in front of us. I'm saying if you want to get going on a trajectory, sowing some seeds of hope, start changing little things. Don't just say like, yes, I was once dehydrated, but now I'm going to be the water king. And just like just drink water constantly because that's my new thing. I've, I've reinvented myself right now. Just try drinking a little bit more. In fact, aren't you thirsty now? I'm not sorry about that. If you're kind of like kind of sitting there, yeah, come. Could, uh, where's the button for the uh, person to come and refill my water? Let's see. New habits. So, um, even intimacy with God in prayer. So often I, um, I talk to people who just feel bad about their spiritual disciplines. And then the, now it's like the third week of January or something, and a bunch of people already failed their New Year's resolutions with the prayer thing. The prayer Bible one is like easier to fail than Planet Fitness, just statistically speaking. You know, like to be like, oh, this is my new regimen. It, it usually, statistically speaking, goes bad. Or goes awry, we should say. But like... Some of that is just because we expect perfection rather than just uh, developing a thirst for intimate um, time with God or just alone, quiet reflection. Now, if you're not used to that, it takes a bit. It's an acquired feeling for a lot of us, especially the extroverts out there or the people who like to sleep until three minutes before they have to be out the door with one shoe on or however, however some of us look sometimes. Or... Um, mismatched shoes or you know just I don't know the stuff that happens to me and happens in my household is fun you know we, we sometimes gotta go we do stuff but the it could be very small things and it could even be small small little habits that lead to the bigger habits it could just be like saying like you know what circle of hope daily prayer I don't know if I'm ready to subscribe and get an email every day to remind me about this I don't know if I'm ready for that level of commitment but maybe I'll just check it out today and see what it might be doing 
Maybe there's something useful for me in there for today. Just let that be enough. Maybe tomorrow you'll say the same thing. It could be waking up in the morning and instead of hitting the snooze button, you immediately just stand up and say thank you. That would be an okay thing for you to do. That would not injure you. For a couple of uh, parents, uh, or excuse me, for couples and parents, a couple of them, you, uh, one of the things Martha and I have been trying to do is to um, sow seeds by just tending to little things. We've been together long enough where we both have habits that we've clearly identified as problematic to the other. Some of those things, of course, are the same as they were when we were 21 years old. Some of them are brand new, and they keep, you know, emerging. It's amazing, you know, how, how many things I can do that, that um, just are problematic for another person. Or, and same, the other way, too. That's not trying to throw Martha under the bus. That's just like how these relationships work. But to, to have a deliberate... And deliberate, I mean, like, talking about it to say, like, hey, there's some things that I'm kind of, like, that are piling up in me. And, uh, and I feel like when we get into, like, a conflict about something, I'm getting into blast mode about something completely different. Is there a way that we could, like, when I'm starting to feel irritated because you're going to get a cookie instead of washing the dishes? Can I talk about that as, like, a little thing that, like, is probably not that connected to other stuff? And we'll just handle it right there. Because it's probably not a huge problem, right? I mean, the cookie thing we did have to deal with. In a, now I'm not eating cookies anymore. I mean, it got dealt with, we'll say. But the, you know, to, to actually deal with something small rather than having to deal with a pileup all the time. That's a good habit for, for people, coworkers, relation, a lot of relationships. However, if you don't have the conversation first, and you just decide, well, I'm going to start handling the little things. Guess what? For your friends, you just seem like you're nitpicking everybody all the time. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa. Remember when things used to be kind of like chill around here? Now every time something bothers you, you're down here over here, you know, turning down the radio. Then you go in the other room and, like, turning off the lights. And then you're, you know, don't, don't do that. Talk about it. Maybe have some, have some, uh, some togetherness, some mutuality about it. With planting seeds, one of the one of the most inspiring, you know, quotes for me is by a seed planter by named Wendell Berry from Kentucky, and um, one of his beautiful poems I want to read just a little bit about because sometimes we think we're growing seeds like chia pets or something like that, and like we're going to be able to be the one person who grows the seeds, watches them grow, and then we get to enjoy trimming them down, and it's all little seeds for us, and that's. Um, that's not really where I'm going for, and this is from Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. He writes this poetically. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close. 
and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world and laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. I mean, sometimes that kind of stuff sounds pretty biblical to me. It sounds similar to like when uh, Peter, who was one of the early, you know, the closest disciple of Jesus, major leader in the church, is writing one of the letters that we have. And he writes this in the first chapter of what we call 1 Peter. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. I honestly, just full disclosure, have to like work pretty hard to find a lot of inspiration in, in 1 Peter. It's not my jam. There's a lot of other parts of the Bible that just, um, just get psyched about, fist pump level, you know, that resonate real easy, that I really want to go with, that I just love studying. But this one in particular, this little piece in there, just pops to me every time. And, it's, and it doesn't take long to read. You may even want to check it out. But being born of something that does not die is a profound way to consider yourself. Because of this connection to God through Jesus, you have something in you that, that actually springs forth life that you did not plant. That's the other thing that's inferred here that connects to the berry. But being born of a seed that can't die means I have good stuff already growing in me. It's like eating an apple the right way. Eat the whole thing. You can go back to front or front to back, but I believe in my heart of hearts that that's the correct way to do it. Now, the best thing about eating an apple that way is you eat the seeds. And tiny little apple trees start growing inside you. We just consider how beautiful that is. Apple trees that cannot die because they're inside you. Don't try this with watermelon seeds. It doesn't work the same, the same kind of way. But, but uh, consider also sequoia seeds. If you, um, some of us, we've gotten to not, we, we haven't been on the East Coast the whole time. But you ever see sequoia trees? Like in, in person, or touch them, try to give them a hug? <coughs> There's, it's, it's brings a different idea about like the whole tree hugger thing when you try to hug a sequoia, a healthy, you know, what's the one in uh, Washington State, like 350 years old or something like that. You can't quite hug it in the same kind of way. It's enormous. They're just, they're so big. But the there's there's some funky things that that were uh, discovered back in the 1960s even when studying why when they when they were trying to protect this sequoia forest doing deliberate attempts for decades, sequoias weren't, they weren't propagating. They weren't doing well. And one of the main things they did is they stopped the fires that naturally start burning every 10 or 15 years. And that through this scientific process of fire, we learned that the, the, the seeds get released from the cones of sequoias by flame, by high heats and even a little bit of fire. The other thing is like, Sec secondary, but it's, it was interesting to me, is there's other less um, needy species of trees that grow alongside sequoias that are even shade trees that if you don't have the fire, will start taking the nutrients and actually make the sequoias sick. The fire helps unleash the seeds. And I think for some of us, we need that kind of hope in our lives 
It's a fiery time. I mean, for a lot of people, this, um, I mean, a lot of you who have told me this, the, the last federal election and the upcoming very likely inauguration of Donald Trump is a dumpster fire. It's horrifying. I, my friend called me the other day who's not a Christian anymore because he wanted to talk because he hasn't been able to sleep in three days just considering it. Like, I don't resonate with that kind of pain about it personally, but I can see it in people's faces. People tell me about it. And it's, um, I mean, I'm trying to work on, like, well, how does it become, you know, not just tragic. And one of the things that you should consider is that things going the way that you want them to do is not going to bring you happiness. And things going and clicking in the way that you think even like your best idea of what God wants for the world, and if that worked out perfectly, that wouldn't make you whole inside. And that wouldn't make your relationships with your family of origin work either. Unless, well, I guess if it was according to your ideas, they would behave the way you wanted them to, right? And not do that thing or whatever. But do you get what I'm saying here? We got to do some inner work during a time when a lot of us feel like it is a fire. The good news, if you are anything like going to plant sequoia trees like Wendell Berry's saying, you're going to let this imperishable seed do some, let it, metaphors, let them play together. This fire could be a time where your pine cones, God's pine cones that are even around you, are going to release some seeds. And these seeds are going to grow beautiful things. And when things don't go our way or when tragedy happens, when sinkholes happen, when um, relationship problems just keep going and we get caught on the same loop with somebody, we get caught in the same loop and the same old pain comes up in us when something unrelated happens with somebody else. Remember that that moment could be like a fire that's going to unleash some good stuff. Tomorrow is an important day for a lot of us, I hope, when we celebrate the, the life and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., profound person. And... Um, you know, easily one of my favorite moments was in 1967 from him in A Time to Break Silence. He wrote, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. Just consider for a moment that shift may have began in 1967. It is not complete. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, then the giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. You know why MLK Day is so important? Or it should be so important to us? It's because every year a bunch of people go read speeches for him yet we don't make the basic shifts that he's talking about, like where profit motives, property rights, computers and machines are less important than people. Now, we all feel this tension a little bit, I hope, when the glass that you carry around in your pocket full of conflict minerals goes off, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me too. You know, you're caught up in a system that your personal attitude only makes a tiny contribution towards. But why not plant some seeds tomorrow. Let's say, yeah, actually, I think it's time when uh, let's make this shift. Let's make this shift interior, but let's also make, have some relationships where we can make some shifts. We haven't yet transcended even the bondage uh, in the United States of racism, 
materialism, militarism. It still drives the proverbial car. So there's tons of stuff to do this week. I hope that a lot of you can even go do something with a sense of hope, with a sense of like get something going. Whether it's marching or going to a demonstration, whether it's going to Washington, D.C., like a bunch of us are doing at different, different days, or doing something right here, or doing something from wherever you're at. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.